Before we get to this episode, I just really want to thank my supporters. Without you, I wouldn't be on this dream of trying to make creating content for speech and debate my career. So, I'd love to give a big shout out to David Nimboer, Akuna Uka, and Debate Track for supporting me. You all can support me too to help me get one step closer to this dream. You can literally support with as little as 99 cents. So, feel free to click the link in the show notes and you will see where you can support. Thank you so much again to my supporters, and I hope to be thanking more as I create more ads like this. See you all later. What's up, everybody? It's Dante, a.k.a. The Forensics Guy, and you are listening to The Forensics Experience, the podcast where we discuss topics in the speech and debate community with the world's most influential coaches, students, and alumni in the activity. And today, I am so, so honored to be sitting with Anne-Marie Baines, who is Ah, let's just, just a true, true goddess. Um, but I'm going to stop. I'm going to give her an opportunity to explain herself and let you all know what she does for the speech and debate community. So Anne-Marie, uh, please take it away. Yes. Yeah, so my name is Anne-Marie Baines. I'm the founder and executive director of a nonprofit called The Practice Space. It's a public speaking organization. And uh, my connection to speech and debate really stems all the way back to the time that I was forced to join a speech and debate camp in the summer before my freshman year, and my friend just wanted me to keep her company. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and she ended up not joining forensics, and I am here over 20 years later. So uh, I love speech and debate forensics. I think it's really powerful and important um, to help people build confidence and help them express themselves and what they care about and be able to help other people and advocate in the world. So true. Um, that is absolutely amazing. And I, um, I obviously know a lot of things. I'm going to give you a chance to explain it because, you know, obviously the audience can't read my mind. Uh, but the practice space is absolutely amazing if you haven't uh, heard of it at all. But I think every single thing that they're doing is great. Um, and probably the thing that I think what's really um, amazing to me is that they're really providing um, affordable uh, speech and debate for people, as well as they're being very inclusive um, and accessible with everything that they're doing, which is absolutely amazing. And some of the platforms that a lot of people know that I uh, try to make very uh, prominent throughout my brand and everything, um, which is just me as a person. So yeah, um, but uh, I kind of want to know. So um, like, yeah, like where is the practice space? I'm sure people are wondering that or like how, how what all do you do at the practice space? I know people want to know that. Yes, so the practice space is located in the San Francisco Bay Area, specifically at the border of El Cerrito and Richmond. And um, a lot of people don't know where that is. It's over by Berkeley. Okay. <laughs> and it's actually, um, funnily enough, it's the community I grew up in. I grew up going to West Contra Costa Unified School District. I went to El Cerrito High School. It's where I learned forensics myself. And one of my dreams was to come back and, and create a nonprofit organization in the community where I you know, lived and, and grew up and then still do, still live here. So um, with the practice space, one of the things that makes us unique is that we serve people of all ages. And so our youngest student is seven and our oldest, I think is 75, but I haven't asked. Wow. <laughs> so they're roughly around then. And so about 70% of our students are ages eight to 18 and then the rest are adults, about 30% serving adults and mostly women and girls. Um, but 
and also majority people of color. So one of the things that we really care about is that public speaking is all about building confidence and also about building community and feeling like you're part of something and part of a team. And the purpose for us of all of that is to advance inclusion and elevate underrepresented voices. And so we offer camps, clubs, private lessons, a lot of organizational trainings for businesses and that kind of thing. But we also help a lot of speech and debate teams and helping students create their own teams. And so we have five new teams that were born wow. out of student leadership and we come and we help them and, and they're teams that didn't have forensics before. And so um, a lot of our work is about really expanding access and creating more opportunities for public speaking where they didn't exist before. That is super amazing. Uh, probably my favorite thing. I think that um, a lot of people know, I feel my part of my mantra is really, I think I want to see speech and debate at every school, like in the world, every single school, from every language, whatever. I just want to see people impacted by the power of speech and debate. And um, I think that that's really amazing. Um, I know, you know, there's there's different nonprofits that do different things and some things are kind of relative to speech and debate. Um, I really like that you're really focusing on that and, and building the clubs I think is uh, really important and something that um, a lot of people aren't always thinking about, you know, and it's, it's great that we're thinking about what we can do for the clubs that are already created, but um, it's really awesome that you're on the side as well of getting programs to start, you know? Um, so once we add them in, then we can include them and make sure that, you know, the entire community and everything is as, you know, accessible and it's as inclusive as possible and we're able to, you know, bring them in um, into a whole new world. And that's really amazing that that's what you do. Um, so I know some people are kind of curious, um, like tell us a little bit about your speech and debate experience. You said that you, you know, you were kind of forced into it um, and it was kind of a new thing, you know, basically like my friend did it, so whatever. Uh, but like, how, how did that all work out for you? When did, what, what age were you when you started and um, how did, how was your whole career of speech and debate as a competitor? Ooh, um, great question. Yeah, I, I guess officially my first public speaking class ever was at age nine. And I took this confident communication class and I had to, my first speech ever was a speech about how to make something. And I made these really gross cornflake peanut butter balls. <laughs> um, I had to describe it and I was so nervous. Um, but my first forensic experience was at that first camp at Canole Valley High School in West Contra Costa. And um, I was there again because my, my friend really wanted me to be there. And I was interesting because I was always very intimidated by the more spontaneous things. I'm a person who loves being prepared. And, and I had done a lot of music and singing in, um, all throughout my childhood. And so I was a performer, but being a speaker was something that was more foreign to me and took a little while to learn. And I remember being really inspired by um, this example speech I saw, which was original prose and poetry. And in California, that's an event where students get to write their own play um, or a monologue or something like that, or a comedy piece, but you write it yourself and you act it out. And I loved that it was prepared. 
I was, I loved creative writing, but I also really loved that I could write characters that I thought I could act out, <laughs> um, <laughs> a little control. And um, that was my first entry point into forensics. And then I started doing student Congress um, and which was more prepared, but I could choose whether or not I asked a question or gave a speech, which I liked. It was kind of tiptoeing into forensics. Um, and then I, uh, during the year, my speech and debate coach was like, no, Anne-Marie, you're going to do more than that. Um, and so he, you know, I, again, that that nudging, that encouragement, uh, being voluntold, <laughs> to do, I, uh, I joined Lincoln-Douglas debate. And so, um, yeah, I think throughout, I ended up doing Lincoln-Douglas debate for four years. And then I did um, individual events. I did almost all of them, but my favorite was duo interpretation. Um, dramatic interpretation and then original prose and poetry was always along the way. And for me, public speaking wasn't something that came naturally. It was something, I, the acting part was closer to my performance background. So that was easier and I did better in the first, my freshman and sophomore year in those events. But there, it really was a turning point from you know sophomore year to junior year um, to for, a speed, for a debate for Lincoln Douglas. Um, and so, yeah, it was just really interesting for me as a journey to go from, you know, at best breaking even and, you know, and kind of ticking along my freshman year. Um, and then, you know, sophomore year on, you know, making it to finals at states every year, going to nationals um, junior and senior year, and just like being able to, to feel that kind of, you know, success and, and you know, and, and winning tournaments. And, you know, that was always, I mean, it took a while though. It took me at least two years to really like start to get that, you know, going. But the thing that always kept me in forensics was the team. The, the friendships, the mentorship, the role modeling, that made it worth it, even though like the success didn't come until later. And then when the success came, it really came. <laughs> True. Um, I like that a lot. I think that the team dynamics obviously do really matter. You know, um, there's like, there's just something really about it. You know, um, I think that, I think one thing I have said probably a multitude of times on this podcast, but you know, in its essence, the gold plated trophies that are going to be on your you know, mantle when you're 60 aren't going to matter that much. You're still going to, you're going to really remember those experiences, the fun times on the school bus, the time where you traveled to this tournament and everybody was acting a fool in the hotel or whatever. And it was just crazy yeah. fun, but it's just, you know, those great times. I think the memories and the, the camaraderie of the team really outweighs everything, but it's always, you know, obviously great too, when you get that success um the success of just winning in speech and debate sometimes and for a lot of people you know they need that type of i'd say that solidification that that assurance that like yes what i'm doing has been valuable i feel like it's paid off um but i think there are other ways to tell that but i am um very very uh glad to know that you know that you had such a great experience when it comes to the team as well as the success of competing um yeah and uh, I was uh, a very obsessed with public speaking, I'd say, with junior and senior year, like almost so much so that my senior year, um, we were coming back from nationals and we, there was a decent chance we were going to miss high school graduation and I didn't care. <laughs> um, like I, I actually, we, we landed and, um, and arrived and I was like, throwing my robe on as we were walking <laughs> down the aisle like it was already starting like I just made it and uh, I'm glad and I'm sure my family was glad that we made it in the end but but I also yeah. was, it was such an important um, part of my life. 
I yeah, I agree. I think um yeah, no, I in in coaching, I think I remember like there were moments where like the the whole graduation always throws things off, especially for NSD and nationals and stuff. It's kind of a weird thing. Sometimes it happens and it, it coincides with graduation and everything. Um yeah, I'm glad I didn't have to really think about that. But honestly, I would have my graduation wasn't too bad because I only had a graduating class of probably like I think it was 213. Mm-hmm. But um, I can't imagine, you know, people that go to some of these big schools and I six, seven, eight hour graduations, that's not for me. <laughs> <laughs> but glad you, you know, uh, that's definitely something I would miss. Uh, I'd go to anything except that. Um, but a little bit about um, the dynamics of your, your team when growing up. Um, <clears throat> I think that um, it's always interesting to hear uh, how that worked out for people because it's always, too, for me, it's always cool to kind of see how those dynamics work. And I think for listeners, they might just be interested in knowing how different teams work from theirs. Um, so if you remember, uh, like how many, like how many students were on your team? How many coaches did you have? Uh, and like, what type of what type of team were you like? I don't know, like in the eyes of, I guess, the the circuit that you were in. Were you that top dog team that everybody was like, oh no, they're here? Or how did it work? Were you the small team, whatever, you know? Yeah, um, the best way to describe us is we we were always the team that like won the top small school sweepstakes. Um, yeah. So you know we were at our most probably about fifty students uh, at the most, and and now um, I still coach um, the team that I, I grew up in, and so um, they're one of the teams that the practice space works with. And, Wait, so yeah. let, me this, let me let me just get this straight. Fifty was that still a small team? Yes, it was. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is crazy. It's California. <laughs> wow, I'm sure people are listening like, that is ridiculous. That's crazy. Yes. There's, no, there's no way that's that way, like almost anywhere else. So that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and and I mean, we were we're in the Golden Gate Speech Association, and so you know, our, our the biggest schools are like Miramonte, Logan, and Logan, all, yeah. yeah. So so fifty is small, and that was our largest. And that um, we've always had both speech and debate, and so it's probably you know thirty or so on the debate side, and twenty or so on the on the speech side. But when I was growing up on the team. Um, I was actually the first interpreter um, at our school, um, wow. and our our, uh, our school was very very well known in policy debate. Um, you know, we the the two years before I want to say I joined the team, uh, they t- took third in the in the nation in policy debate, and um, there's a big history of policy debate in our area, and so um, the culture of the team was definitely very you know a lot of debate, a lot of argumentation, and for me it was um, I liked that part, but I also wanted to balance the intellect with the creativity. And so um, for me, um, in terms of the type of you know student I was on the team, a lot of it was like, you know, I, I was the person who did both um, speech yeah. and debate. And that was not um, common at the time. And there's more students now that do more crossover, but at the time it was kind of like either debate or speech. Um, and then in terms of coaches, like we, um, we, we had two incredible um, forensics directors, a husband and wife team who are, um, you know, they were 
top Hall of Fame coaches, Sandy and Catherine Berman, um, now have, have passed away since then, but um, they were incredible mentors and they kind of run ran the, the administration of the team. And then we had, you know, usually three or four assistant coaches, but the the, the wonderful thing about it was that um, Mrs. Berman and her husband always made sure that we could always participate. And I was definitely someone who wanted to take advantage of all the circuit tournaments. So I traveled a ton on the debate team, but I could not afford it. And I definitely couldn't afford all the registration and, and all of that. And our school also being one of the few public schools doing speech and debate, um, we really struggled um, to be able to afford to do the activity in the first place. And so uh, a lot of it was coming out of her pocket, um, you know, getting you know, donors here and there, but we didn't have financial support from the district or a class like a lot of the other teams would have. And so it was definitely a team that was in it for the love. <laughs> and they were always like fundraising for each each other and like just really caring about making sure that the opportunity was there and so it was never competitive across teammates we were a very tight-knit family yeah that's that's amazing and yeah. that's yeah that's really awesome um I think it's really interesting just to kind of hear that I think um it always it's you know I was I was in the same boat you know but um in high school we didn't really do like circuit stuff. Like I don't even think I truly even knew what that was. I definitely didn't know what that was in high school. Like I just knew forensics as the state of Wisconsin for the most part. Um, and uh, it's crazy like how circuit is and how many people do it, but also um, it just almost definitely saddens me a little bit when you think about how many people can't do it, how many people aren't afforded the opportunity. And um, I know some people are working on it. Um, there's definitely a lot of positives um, out there. Um, then there are uh, on the opposite side too. It's like, hey, I'm going to charge 500 a kid. I need to get my money. And I'm like, wow. Uh, but, you know, um, it's a whole, yeah, it's a whole, it's a weird dynamic, but um, it's, it's always interesting to hear like just how, you know, some people aren't able to, you know, afford to do it, but they're still, you know, they're working hard. They're trying to figure out ways to do it. Um, I hope that we eventually are in a world where that doesn't um, happen as much. I think, I think the one weird positive that we're that from this entire coronavirus thing is that we know it's possible now. Like it's just very interesting to think of, you know, like I can really, really see down the line, like in, in less than five years probably, there's gonna be a tournament where in some of the rounds there's like maybe a person carrying like a uh, iPad or something and it's that person competing like digitally <laughs> and the judges in the room watching them in real time because that person's on the team oh it's gonna be so crazy I'm interested to see what happens I don't know how that'll fully work but I do think that that's really amazing <laughs> I'm super excited to see how that turns out to be so um yeah uh yes. that's yeah I don't know I got a lot of a lot of things to say about that but I do think it's really awesome that we're working towards a much more accessible uh financial uh, speech and debate realm in this in, in total yeah and I think um one of the things that 
for us as a team, like the, the El Cerrito debate team was always um, known for just not only having a lot of diversity uh, racially, but also um, having a lot of diversity in terms of personality. And, and some of that is, has, has gone away in recent years, but, but when I was on the team, like that was definitely one of what we were known for. And, um, you know, I think part of that was the fact that we were doing both speech and debate. And so I think part of it was that, you know, a lot of the people who were on the team were definitely ones who couldn't always afford to participate in this activity. But then also like the fact we had both speech and debate met, meant that we had the theater kids, we had the band kids, we had <laughs> we had students who loved just debating and, and that was all they wanted to do. And so there, there were so many people on the team that wouldn't have met otherwise uh, if it wasn't for this activity. And I think always that's that kind of variety and that kind of diversity is always really powerful because it means you get to meet all sorts of kinds of people. And and it really you know builds the, the family so that it's not just you know one type of person and the coaches were always really good at, at bringing that forward and and um, part of the reason why like right after I graduated from high school I started coaching immediately I was a student at UC Berkeley and um, I like to say that the first practice space you know the name of my nonprofit like the first practice space was in my dorm room when students from El Cerrito and and other schools would come and I would just I would coach them in my dorm room and and um, you know it's just I, it, I haven't really stopped and I graduated in 2001. So um, it's, uh, it's been a little while. <laughs> wow. uh, that's, that's amazing. Um, I, man, I forgot to think I was going to say like in the middle of you talking, I just didn't want to stop you, but it's okay. It'll probably pop in my head eventually. Mm -hmm. But, um, but yeah, no, I really think that um, that's, yeah, super amazing. And that I love your dedication to this craft and just making sure that uh, you can make this a great space for so many people. Um, so in terms of uh like competition like have you have you been to like nationals like as a competitor coach or anything um or and like what I guess like what leagues did you compete in uh because I know that there's a lot of leagues uh so many like once I once I really got into this space like I just really found out like wow there's like I mean, a ton of different national organizations and stuff. So like everybody doesn't always know what people are talking about. So what leagues did you compete in and uh, how did you get there? Yeah, um, well, so for California, it's it's geographic. And so um, we, we were in one league, uh, Golden Gate Speech Association, GGSA. And um, we would compete at other invitationals nationally, like the UC Berkeley Invitational, Stanford Invitational, some of these bigger ones that cover more nationals. Um, but all of it was under the National Speech and Debate Association. So um, former, formerly NFL, I guess, was when yeah. I was competing, <laughs> which yeah. is always hilarious. The real football league. I know. I have a lot of trophies that say NFL on them. It's my <laughs> name. <laughs> that is awesome. I think uh, I think my, I have a certificate. My, I don't know what, you, what the, you know, like the induction type of certificate thing, uh, but it says NFL on it still too. Yes. Yeah. So it was funny. Um, yeah. Me and the NFL, those who are uh, listening, I uh, can't tell that I'm a five foot two Filipino. Um, so, um, anyways, yeah. In terms of, uh, you know, we did state competitions. Um, all of that was under CHASA, the um, California High School Speech Association. And, um, and then, uh, and that's when we got to see people from within our state. And California does a lot of unusual events that aren't done around the country. And so that was always fun and uh, and then as a Lincoln Douglas debater I competed on the on the national circuit for NSDA and so went to Chicago went to Georgia 
um, you know, I really um, had some really interesting experiences traveling to these different tournaments. And was, uh, uh, was Chicago Glenbrooks? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So yep. it's probably my second favorite tournament, like in terms of just circuit tournaments. It's probably my second favorite. I still think Ber it took me a while, but I, I do think Berkeley is my number one. Over, yes. over Glenbrooks, but they're both really amazing tournaments to be at. <laughs> yeah, it was so fun. I mean, the yeah, Glenbrooks was awesome. I've taken students there since. I mean, the um, I don't know how much credit I can take, but uh, the very first student I taught um, ended up winning Lincoln Douglas debate um, uh, national, like the wow. national tournament. Um, uh, and he was, yeah, he was just incredible. So I can't take too much credit for that. But, um, but like, uh, you know, every year we've had students, um, you know, in state finals. And, um, you know, I, I love coaching students too. Um, and, and it's, it's not really about like, I mean, it's fun to coach students to make it to nationals. I've had a lot of students at nationals and states, but it's less about that. And it's more about um, seeing them really kind of bring their craft to the next level. Um, even like preliminary rounds at state versus like you prepare them for finals and they just, they, they bring it up a notch. And like, yeah. just also like facing a new set of nerves. Like it's ner nerve wracking enough to be at states, but to be in state finals, the nerves go up and up and up, but to be able to deal with that and channel all of it to do your best performance, um, whether it's debate or speech is that's the exciting thing. Cause sometimes for some students, they go into that elimination round and, and, you know, they choke a little bit because it's just so nerve wracking. And I just think, you know, that just the art of competing in an elimination round is uh, it's its own separate thing to coach. Um, and yeah. I really enjoy it when that happens. I think um, <clears throat> I think it's easy to forget that speech and debate is um, a it's a it's a very it's an individual sport, you know, like it's you're competing, you're really competing against yourself. Yeah. And uh, like you're competing against other people too, but do you forget, you know, like, I mean, my, my absolute favorite, favorite, like, I guess award that I've ever gotten, like ever out of any tournament was a third place trophy. And I've had first place ones that have been great, but it's so, it's just really funny how this third specific third place trophy was my favorite. And it was a tournament where like, I, like everybody was there, like in terms of like some of the true greats at that time and like my category at, and like, I had to fight so hard. I felt like in those preliminary rounds to just like truly crush it. And then you make it to finals and then you're just, you're really going at it. And I was just like third place. This is amazing. Like I felt so confident and relieved at the fact that I knew like with every grain of my body that I did the absolute best I could. Yeah. Like, I don't think I ever could have done like even better. Like it was just amazing. <laughs> yes. And I think that's, a, that's such a good example of why forensics is so addicting because you are in a community of people who are working their hardest to do the best that they can individually. Yeah. And like, but it's a community around those individuals. And, you know, I think that, I mean, for me, one of the most meaningful one is um, like award I ever got was to, to reach my, my fourth Ruby, the, get, get the quadra Ruby, which yeah. meant that I maxed out the total number of achievement points on every single category of, of speech and debate. And the reason it meant so much was that my, my um, coach, Mr. Berman was like, that was, you know, something he was, he was like, you know, you're, you're gonna, you just like reach the highest level out of both of those. And that, that's what you're gonna do. And he, he said that when I was a freshman. And then, you know, when I hit my points and he tallied them up very diligently and he's like, yeah, 
you know, Anne-Marie, <laughs> you know, you, you just got it. And he's like, you know, just the look of pride, um, you know, so, so it wasn't just about like, you know, me trying my hardest, which was yeah. an important part, but also like people rooting for you, um, sure. which I, I think sometimes in the academic environment, you don't always feel like uh, someone's out there rooting for you to do the absolute best. True. And um, yeah, like, the only the only thing I really compare it to is because I did college um, track and field, and it's it is obviously so similar. But and it's just uh, I love track and field too because it's kind of that same concept. Like I could totally have a tournament where I beat my PR, and I I go like seven seconds or something, and that's my that's the best I've ever done. But I still get last place. Like that's possible. Like everybody just beats me, but I've done my absolute best, which is crazy. Like it's just so weird. Um, but that's what really matters is, you know, like really competing against yourself and doing your best. Um, I, yeah, I love that. Um, yeah. I think I, 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 one, one other thought, sorry, about competition though, that I, I've had this mixed relationship with the competitions because like, I mean, we've been, been just, you know, talking about going down memory lane of how amazing yeah. those are. <laughs> but I also have met a lot of students where the competition aspect um, really turns them away from speech and debate. Mm -hmm. And um, for the practice space, like I'm always going back and forth about like, you know, we do do some practice scrimmages and, but we're called the practice space. And so it's yeah. about like the art of practicing and getting better, but like, how do you replicate that same feeling of achievement without necessarily having the win and loss all the time and not always depending on it. And it's, oh, it's tricky. I think um, it, it is tricky, but I think um, it's, 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 it's been perfected or as close as possible. We'll say, <laughs> uh, I feel like that was like, that was a true stretch, but um, a big shout out to the WHSFA in Wisconsin. Um, it's, we have, we have two main like, so I guess this is actually the thing I was gonna say earlier. Hmm. So uh, so this kind of Yay. kind of ties into each other. But um, in Wisconsin, speech and debate don't run congruently. So hmm. they're completely separate seasons. Like there's a whole WDCA, which is the Wisconsin Debate Coaches Association, and WFCA, which is the Wisconsin Forensics Coaches Association. There's overlap sometimes between maybe a coach and a judge and stuff. But for the most part, they are completely separate seasons. Like the debate usually runs from about beginning of the school year to like January or December. And then the forensics part runs from about January to like April or something like that. And um, yeah, they're completely separate. And we have, for the forensics part, we have two leagues that are prominent for the high schoolers. There's the WFCA, which is the one that I said earlier, and then the WHSFA, uh, which is the one I kind of want to give a lot of props to. And they're both great in their own way. But I think um, most people, if you ask them just out of blind asking, like most people would define the WFCA as the more competitive one, probably a little bit more along the lines of what the NSBA does and stuff like that. And then the WHSFA is kind of like almost the trueness of like a track and field meet kind of like you really are competing against yourself. Uh, like the way they run their tournaments is like there's things are like point based and you're really competing against yourself. You need to like beat your score to like get farther as opposed to like beat other people. So like you're it's like a 25 point scale unless they've changed it in the last few years. I don't know. But as far as I remember, it's like a 25 point scale and it's based on like different things like introduction and all that stuff that takes to make a good presentation based on your category. And 
you need to get like, I think it's like 21 to get to districts and then you need to get 23 to get to state. And then if you get a 25, that's like your gold award thing. Um, and it's pretty cool. Like, uh, like the state tournament is really interesting. Like it's not, it's not like other tournaments. Like it doesn't run like a, it's not like three rounds and then semis breaks and stuff like that. It's literally just one round. So like you go, there's different slots, like a nine slot, a 12 slot, a one slot, and you and your team go basically, everybody competes in that slot, and then you get your awards based on how you did in that time slot, and then that's it, which is uh, very different, but it's also still a great way to culminate like the end and just being like, okay, this is how I did, cool, I got a 24, that's amazing, that's awesome, and that's great, and uh, uh, I really, really respect it, I think that that's a a uh, great and a very different way to um, do, make something competitive, but still not as like intrusively competitive, like in a weird way, you know, especially yeah, great. You want to do, be less competitive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I really, really, really like that. Um, and I, yeah, I've definitely thought of, uh, you know, inco- trying to figure out how to incorporate more of that and stuff like that. Uh, but it's just, it is really awesome and um, I'm glad that it exists. So I just thought I'd let people know uh, who are listening and let you know, you know, that uh, those things it definitely exist. Um, and it's really great that more people are having the opportunity to do so. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. I think that's important to keeping the activity as inclusive as possible. And um, that's always my my go-to word, my anchor word for everything around this work is, is inclusive because when we're talking about having a voice, um, we need to make sure that people can bring their whole self and keep bettering themselves and be able to bring other people in and connect to people because good communication is all about good connection. <laughs> and, and when you are really having people think about how to connect to an audience, there's more of an art behind that than just straight up competition. True, very, I, I definitely agree. Um, I think that, you know, it's, it's tough. It's tough to be, it's tough to have something be competitive and artistic at the same time. Yeah. I do think that we've truly mastered that in making sure that that's available for people who do want to be competitive. Um, but yeah, I like it. Um, and it's just different. So I'm, I'm glad that, you know, we are being inclusive and figuring out more a, a variety of different ways for people to compete and do it their way um, and practice and do it their way and everything. Um, even at the grand scheme of things, the first, I really remember, you know, uh, that was like, like not, I wouldn't say it was, it was, it, it felt more, I guess it was just innate, you know, when I first started coaching my first year uh, with Lake Country School, um, I remember, you know, asking the kids like individually, I was like, you know, what do you want to get out of this season you know and it's cool because some kids are like some kids are like I want to crush the world and be the best speech and debater ever and every kid cries because they lost to me ha ha or whatever and then you got the other kid that's just like I just want to get better at public speaking and I'm like that's awesome like okay cool like I'm gonna try to help with both <laughs> uh I, it'd be nice to not have that many kids cry but you know whatever uh well you know we'll they'll deal with it um so I just like to I like that that um, I like that I think I've always had that mindset um, in trying to really give every single student an opportunity in the way that's going to best serve them. Um, I remember, I, I remember, oh man, it's been a long time. I can't remember her name. Nope, I think I remember Amelia. Wow, that's crazy. Um, but uh, she was um, one kid on my first team or second team, and she 
did like she was she did a bunch of dance like she apparently she was like an amazing dancer i don't think i've ever seen her dance but i think as far as i was concerned people knew that like she was like a great dancer and did a lot of great stuff i guess and she could never come to practice but she still wanted to do forensics and like i would meet with her like on a monthly basis like our parents would bring her in and i sit maybe for like a good 30 minutes and really get the chance to just kind of like work with her and see like what she has she's memorized how we're going to work on this and stuff like that and try to offer as many opportunities as I can for somebody to do it. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it's uh, it's awesome. And it's, I, I, I feel so nostalgic now because I'm just like, uh, like I miss those times. I really do like those, like those first years of coaching where I like, you know, I'm in college and there's not, there's still responsibilities, but it just doesn't feel like it's as much, you know, you know, now that I'm an old man, it just feels different, you know, but like in college, it was just like, I can, I can do this, I can do this, I can do everything and like, and I didn't have to think about so many other things like how I'm going to afford the extremely expensive rent and, and how I'm going to feed myself and how I'm going to do all these things. Um, yeah, but I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that. I just had to think about that. But um, but I do, um, I do really appreciate, uh, you know, where we're going as a whole community and stuff with speech and debate. And um, I am glad that you know I'm on a. I think both myself and like the practice space and you were all like on this goal of making this activity a lot more inclusive and accessible. So I really appreciate that. Yes. Well, and it's it's fun because you know, a lot of this work is so human. It's not just about, you know, creating a speech and just turning it out. Like the stories you're telling are, it's human for coaches too. You know, there's yeah. the reality of life and yet like this is an activity you love. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting right now actually in a corner where um, before the before we actually founded the practice space in 2017, um, it, we had done about six years of coaching in this in our house. Um, and so I'm actually sitting, we moved things around when the pandemic hit, but I'm actually sitting where there used to be this big couch where the students would all just like hang out in my basement. And then like they would come up one at a time and we'd have those conversations about, you know, what do you want to get out of the season, but also like what are your goals and what what keeps you up at night and what worries you and and when i was starting the practice space i remember being at a tournament in arizona just like waiting for our flight and like telling the students what my sketches were for the practice space and they helped me like come up with like oh how should we decorate it and they they wow. like came in and they chose they helped me choose the furniture and they painted the walls and you know put handprints on everything and 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 it's just like you know, I think, you know, from my living room to like the actual idea itself, it's just, um, you know, we, part of it was like, you know, being able to treat students as, as partners in this work. Um, you know, it's not just like a coach giving information and knowledge to students, but sharing who they are and what they love and what their ideas are and sharing their passion for public speaking. And it was always surprising to me, like at lunchtime when we would run um, speech and debate camps, um, and we still run a lot of camps now, like at lunchtime, they always want to hear the war stories. They want to hear the like craziest story you had at a tournament and or the weirdest uh, round you had or like, oh, what, what oh, have you seen this piece before? And I think that culture, that sharing um, of your stories and your experiences is something that's often missing. We don't always get time to tell stories. And that's part of why the community is so strong is because we have a common like 
you know, you and I didn't overlap yeah. when we're competing and we're having this conversation right now. <laughs> True. Like it's, uh, oh man, there's, there's something I thought about recently with that. There's, oh, um, I uh, was in a, uh, in college, I was in a fraternity and it was kind of that same, it was that uh, for some reason I thought about the same as the same kind of thing. Like I remember there were certain things like we talk about that, like we all share that the same experience. Mm-hmm. And I do think that that is something that like truly holds like those bonds and ties together. Um, and uh, in its essence, like, you know, uh, I won't fully compare, but there's there's a lot of similarities. Like, I mean, speech and debate is kind of like a, uh, actually it's funny, my most recent TikTok, uh, it did pretty it did pretty well. It got a, a couple hundred views or likes or whatever. And uh, I like the question was like uh, names name a name something that's like a cult. And then I was like speech and debate. I was like it's a bunch of it's literally like parents sending their kids out to God knows where with suits on at the crack of dawn. And then they go on a big yellow bus and come back with like random trophies. And you're like, how did you even get that? Nobody talks about it. And <laughs> it's just like it's so cool because it's just a really awesome atmosphere um and like you said no like no matter for the most part no matter what you know we're always going to share so many of the same experiences mm-hmm. things might change once things get more digital and stuff uh, sure but there's always going to be some things that people could definitely share and yeah I, and i i love that i think um well and when you start to share that you start to share other things you start to share other parts of your life and then you're you're you know a forever family and yeah. um when I was working with the El Cerrito speech and debate team, I, I was writing my dissertation at the time and um, uh, working on publishing a book, which included a section, like most of it is about following um, a group of debaters around for two years um, who you know, had been labeled with some kind of invisible disability. And so all of them had had you know, either some kind of you know, autism or ADHD or learning disabilities. And it was, one, I mean, I, I shouldn't have been surprised by this, but I, I was at the time that the students who had that experience in school that was so difficult and just being labeled and seen as not good enough or not smart enough would come to tournaments and would be seen as capable and just, you know, could be themselves and could be leaders. And there was such a drastic difference between how these students would be at a tournament versus being in school. And, um, I think one one of the reasons is because you're allowed to just be yourself and have this common story and be able to bring out all the quirkiness, which you know sometimes I feel like in the classroom isn't as welcome. And so I think some of that culture building comes from just being able to be encouraging of people's strengths and who people are. And I think that's why it works so well for you know there's so many students I've worked with over the years on the autism spectrum that don't look like they have a disability at all it's not relevant in the debate world it's actually an asset um and it's something that helps them in the activity it's so true and i think um it's so prevalent that it is like our our the community as a whole like as a whole is so welcoming and sure we've all heard there's always something yeah. not the best but as a as an entire whole i don't think any community can trump speech and debate and it's just amazing like how much we offer and like how much support, how much camaraderie, friendship and everything. I mean, like I I've for the like I've always stuck to this. Like when somebody tells me they did a speech and I'm like, oh, new friend. There we go. Yes, I know, new friend. Like automatically mean like I wanna know this person because like I feel that for the most part, like if you did this, like this is 
something that like there's something in common there's a spark somewhere um and there was a really unique and amazing reason of why you did this activity too um so it's really great to hear and um it sadly reminds me of a a, a few probably a few days ago on a TikTok, some somebody posted somebody commented on my thing and they said this was the worst experience of my life um and i was so sad um and like i think i post i don't know what i posted about speech innovate but it was something about doing it and then that person was like man i did this in some year or something it was like it was the worst experience of my life i was like oh i was like wow and uh it was really great just to see all of the uh kids who commented and they were all like man like what happened or maybe you weren't doing it right or, or something you know so <laughs> i mean i'm sure they were you oh, know no. <laughs> they were trying they were trying they were trying to console them um, but but like you know it was just like oh man like you know um we gotta the community the community matters too and uh, like even with an activity this amazing you know you still want coaches that are going to foster excellence you still want uh you know other students that are going to work together and really give every single person an experience that they can forever remember which is uh which is hopefully the goal um so yes it isn't always positive for everyone i think it depends on the team culture um and and it's why the team culture has to start with building connections and being able to build in role models and teaching students how to teach each other um and having that kind of that helping that you know set of helping principles and um, one of the things we uh just released at the practice space is a set of um, free curriculum guides that are just you know, openly available and, and some of the resources that are in there um, are around peer coaching. So how can you help students lead each other? Because when they start to own the community, they start to look out for each other. And it can't just be, I mean, a coach sets the stage um, and they have to set the stage and, and be the model. But at the same time, it really takes also a lot of student leadership to be able to make sure that that happens. Um, otherwise, yeah, the culture breaks down so fast and it's really important because public speaking is so vulnerable. It's, yeah. um, it's a scary experience to put yourself out there and what you think is important. And um, <laughs> I, I mean, I, you're not alone in hearing hearing that kind of experience. Um, you know, before we went to, to quarantine, we did a lot of festivals and booths to advertise the practice space. And there's always a decent number of people who will point at our sign and go like, public speaking, I took that once, it was horrible, I failed. Yeah. And so it's out there, you know, and there's a reason that people fear it so much. And um, when, when you have a bunch of negative experiences, it really starts to form that identity that this is not possible yeah. um, for you. And and I, I feel like it's our job in the coaching community and our job at the practice space to like disrupt that and create more positive experiences. Um, in our, our young speakers club, you know, with the seven and eight year olds, like we, our main objective is to create a good memory of public speaking. <laughs> and yeah. so we will do like these crazy alien simulations and alien invasions and like <laughs> um, time travel and all sorts of things that like create speeches and debates <laughs> around it. But it's just, it's so silly and weird and fun that, you know, again, you have that positive experience um, on the club. And so, um, yeah, I, there's, there's definitely a lot of people who have had a negative experience, but it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah, I agree. I think, um, yeah, nobody needs to have that experience. And we can, yeah, as coaches, as a community, we can definitely make sure that that doesn't happen. Um, wow, I think that's I think that's a perfect transition 
into uh, what is usually my last question. Mm -hmm. And uh, that question is, uh, if your coach was listening right now, uh, what would you say to them? Oh, <laughs> um, yes. Well, and I've spoken about the Burmans. Um, you know, they, they're so special to me. Um, and um, they, uh, Mrs. Berman passed away in 2018. Um, and so, you know, it's, it, we dedicated a room to the, pra in the practice space, um, called the Berman room. And it's, it's where a lot of the private lessons take place. And, um, they're just, you know, so incredibly special to me and, and in memory. And so, yeah, I, I, um, you know, if I were to, to, you know, be able to speak to her again, which, um, I wish I could, <laughs> um, you know, I, I'd tell her, you know, Mrs. Berman and Mr. Berman, I, thank you for um, changing my life, for um, being able to make um, it possible for me to, to not only feel confident in my own voice, but feel passionate enough about something in my community to want to give it to others. Um, thank you for, you know, believing that someone who was shy um, could be an amazing speaker. Thank you for offering this experience to so many students who people didn't believe in and who really, um, you know, needed that, needed needed that community, needed to be heard. Um, and thank you also for just being a no-nonsense person who, you know, is, you know, was not only a point of support, but also just very no-nonsense. Like if things get hard, you're, it's fine. Life is good. She always used to say life is good. So um, life is good, Mrs. Berman, and it's because of you. True. Uh, wow, that's amazing. Um, yeah, thank you. That's, yeah, that's really, uh, yeah, that's just amazing. I think that that is uh, a perfect segue. Um, and my last comment is, oh my gosh, like, I love that they were like a couple team. Um, <laughs> um, my- uh, He was her, her debate coach. <laughs> <laughs> Other stories there, I'm sure. Oh, really? <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Mr. Berman was Mrs. Berman's debate coach, yeah. That's, that's awesome. Uh, <laughs> that's great. Um, yeah, it just, uh, it really, it makes me think of um, uh, one of the coaches that I worked with for a very long time, really great friend who also passed away, uh, Steve Sexton, and uh, still miss him a ton. Uh, he's just, he was an amazing coach and his, him and his wife were like a coaching duo too, but they were, they were, I think at some point they worked together, but technically they were rivals because they were like two separate schools. So it just, it worked out to be so cool. But at the same time, we were like sister schools and we like traveled together and all the time and we, everything was together, but I guess technically we were still competing against each other, but it just made it, uh, it was just such an awesome dynamic of a team and, um, so big shout out to, you know, my Brooklyn East kids and then the West Bend kids who are like our, uh, like our sister school. So, um, yeah, uh, yeah, thank you for that. And uh, thank you so much for just being on and, uh, and speaking to us today and giving us so much uh, information that I am 100% sure everybody is absolutely loving right now. Um, and I know that there are at least 120% of the people that are listening that are like, oh my gosh, this lady is amazing. I need to figure out what's the practice space, all that. How can they, how can they get in contact with you? How can they learn more about the practice space and everything? Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I hope you all do. Uh, we want to see more people. Uh, we, yeah, and we're doing a lot of online classes. So we've uh, served more people during the pandemic than since our founding combined. Um, wow. so we just hit our 1000 student mark. So that was exciting. That's amazing. Yay. Um, wow. 
Yeah, so you can go to our website, www.practice-space, and that's S-P-A-C-E.org. I get some people putting a space in there. Um, oh, so <laughs> practice-space.org. Practice um, <laughs> and then you can reach out to me to directly, um, you, you can email us at our admin account, admin at practice-space.org. Awesome. So there you have it. You know how to reach out to her and uh, reach out to the practice space. Um, super awesome. Uh, the practice space is absolutely amazing. So definitely make sure you check them out and be their 1001 student. So uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you again for being on here. Everybody already knows at this point, I literally have never figured out a way to end this podcast. So I'm just going to say peace out. <laughs>